reason that I'm here is because you know, the club is seeking change. He said, well, whether you come or not, you're going to see a completely different first team under me. You know, my hope and my desire and what I'm going to try and do is give our supporters hope and, and belief that we're, um, you know, we're going to embark on something special. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. It is episode 145, and we have got a packed show, two very, very big games to talk about, a very important victory over Liverpool on the men's side, and a disappointing yet somewhat promising defeat on the first day of the WSL season for Spurs women at Stamford Bridge. Uh, alongside me to talk about all of it is Caroline. She is at CG Stefko. Kaz, how are you? Loving these 11.30 a.m. Central Time kickoffs, first and foremost. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was just a good weekend to be a Spurs fan. I feel like we can be really excited about what both of our teams are building. So yeah, I feel like the mood is high. <laughs> I would tend to agree with that. Uh, and also a little a little bit of sleep would have been nice for me, but um, the Ryder Cup was on this morning. So I was definitely up watching that. So I, I literally woke up this morning at like 3.30 in the morning west coast time and was watching golf and watching uh europe just trounce all over the americans over there in rome so um congrats to the europeans for their continued dominance i suppose um but no the, the, the sleep was not the sleep was not gained on my end i know that much um scott is also with us he is scott what's your what's your handle now you're not at dsm spurs anymore i don't even Correct. know where you thank are. you yeah i am at at my my birth name at scott g like golf bird all, all one word. So. And that's B-Y-R-D, um, not B-I-R-D. Thank you. Yes, it is B-Y-R-D. I'll spell your name for you. Thank you. So good luck to you to, to remember that handle now. Every Yeah, every I'll tell you what, man. Going forward. 144 of these I've been able to just say at DSM Spurs, but you are not there anymore. You are at Scott G. Bird. So we'll have to. Uh, it's true. And it cost me a week a week of Twitter use actually yeah. doing that, as you'll recall. So, But yeah, at Scott G. Bird. Glad to be interacting with people again on Twitter, especially after some hilarious things that happened today that we will we will get to um, in the near future. It's good to be back, and I'm glad to be here. What 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 happened? Was was there was there anything controversial that happened on the internet this weekend? What do you mean? Oh God, man! I I let, let's just jump right into it. That uh the that statement from Liverpool just I I thought it was hilarious. I was laughing out loud in my bathroom as as I saw that it had come through. It just Classic Liverpool, absolutely classic Liverpool, and I respect them a lot as a club. You know, they've been through some things that are horrible as a club, and they, I, I know some Liverpool fans that are fantastic. And if there's one Premier League club that I will ever play with on Football Manager in the Premier League, that's not Spurs, it's Liverpool, right? So I, I, I definitely have respect for the organization, but also classic Liverpool to put out something like that. Um, and I, and I, I mentioned on Twitter earlier the funniest thing about all of it to me is is, you know, they've had plenty of chances to call out the PGMOL, like at least 10 of them in the last two or three years. But all those decisions went in their favor, and so they had no reason to call the PGMOL out, right? But now that they're on the other side of, of, of the fence, you know, they're so hard done and ready to make changes and all of this. So it's just a classic example of somebody, you know, being super tone deaf and unaware of themselves in a situation. And um, I just thought it was fucking hilarious. 
Let's let's give the listeners a little bit of insight into what you're talking about. Liverpool Football Club released a statement earlier today, Sunday, uh, October the 1st. By the way, welcome to October. It is officially fall. Uh, we, we love to Crazy. see it. Uh, Liverpool Football Club acknowledges PGMOL's admission of their failures last night. This is obviously referring to their 2-1 defeat at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It is clear that the correct application of the laws of the game did not occur, resulting in sporting integrity being undermined. Oh, man, that the end of that sentence just chills me to the bones with the sporting integrity coming from Liverpool. Uh, they say they they go on to say, and I'm not going to read this whole thing because it's lengthy and honestly too lengthy for, for what they're it's a it's a honestly a TL, TLDR of like nothingness here. Uh, but they say we fully accept the pressures that match officials work under, but these pressures are supposed to be alleviated, not exacerbated by the existence and implementation of VAR. Hey, guess what, Liverpool? I agree with you. VAR supposed to make all this easier. Certainly hasn't done that. Um, the, the best part of this and Caroline, I know this statement, uh, this is where it really set you off. The, the, the final sentence of this statement was in the meantime, we will explore the range of options available given the clear need for escalation and resolution. What what the fuck does that mean? What do we, does that mean? We're just gonna piss and moan and stomp our feet a little bit more because that's the range of options available to you right now, Liverpool. There's not much else you can do. You got boned. You lost a game. T- tough shit, I guess is, is is where I would go from there, right? Yeah, I when I heard that last sentence, um, I, I will admit I felt a little chill go through my heart because the fact that they were like we have options available. I'm like, what options? Like, what do we not know here? (laughs) Um, But at the same time, I think this whole statement was obviously like meant to appease their fan base who are like livid right now. And I don't think it will actually appease them in the end because it's not like they, it, it didn't go as far as I think their fans would like them to have gone with that statement. So it was kind of pointless basically. If, if I could just channel uh, the, the great meme that uh, features Stephen A. Smith, we don't care. Liverpool fans, let me tell you something right now. We don't care. We do not care that you are upset. We just don't. I'm sorry. We don't. We don't. We care. don't. We don't. And you know why, Andrew? And I feel like we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, like not having talked about the game at all. I know. I know. We've, we've totally just well, gone off the rails, but that's okay. I'm, 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 I'm here is, for it. The thing is that we don't care because – it is Liverpool, and there is a well-documented history of our club getting screwed by decisions that went in Liverpool's favor. Like, even just in the past calendar year alone, Jota not getting sent off after kicking Skip in the head to the point that he was bleeding, and then went on to score the game winner. So that's why I don't care. Like, it, it is, it's a bit of karma, honestly. And we heard from many of our listeners um, after the result yesterday, kind of pointing back to the podcast last week when uh, Todd decided that he was going to go all in on how the officiating is a scam. And we, we were, we were, we were cost, you know, it cost us points against Arsenal in his mind. And I don't, I don't really disagree with him, but you know, we talked about that kind of being like one of those, okay, that, that happened. It'll, it'll come back around. We'll figure it out. Uh, It, it, fucking came back around this week it really like it like all the way back around so or they listened to the pod and they were convinced by todd we haven't thought about that that could have happened they said they said you know todd really is onto something about this narrative yeah todd yeah you know that is a good point though andrew about you know what what goes around comes around essentially like that's what we always get told when we complain about 
the things that don't go our way. So it's like Liverpool fans just have to have a taste of their own medicine this time. The other thing is that I think if I'm going to play like armchair psychologist here, I think Liverpool fans are, I mean, I think rightfully so upset about this incident because it was a horrible error from VAR. There's no well, way. Hold on. Which that. one? Cause there's but like, I don't think they them. would be. <laughs> Truly. Well, okay. Fair. But I mean, particularly the offside goal that was, um, yeah. That was actually onside like that one. I, I can understand that should have been a goal. And it was basically like not a paperwork error, but you know what I mean? A logistical error in the, the process of VAR um, that caused that to happen. So I get that, like they should be upset, but at the same time, I don't think this kind of uproar would be happening to this degree where, the, you know, the fact that even pundits are kind of like getting in on it, if it weren't for the fact that, we only won the game because a Liverpool defender scored a stupid own goal and people hate when it just comes down to like pure bad luck. Like they want to have a reason, something to blame that isn't their beloved, you know, 32 year old center back. Like I get it. Well, go ahead, Scott. Yeah. And and I completely agree with that. And I think there's like two ways of looking at this for me. There's yes. Liverpool was hard done. Yes, that happens. Yes, it's sports. Yes, we've been there. And at the same time, say they're absolutely right. The PGMOL has to be fixed because like this cannot continue. Right. So in one hand, I appreciate a club coming out and like throwing and, and kick, throwing a fit and kicking and screaming right at the PGMOL because that's going to have to happen eventually. Sorry that we were on the, you know, the receiving end of the benefit that caused the uproar, but I do think they're right in saying something has to be done because it's a fucking atrocious. We know it very well as Spurs fans, which is, again, why we have no sympathy for Liverpool fans, right? Because we know it all too well that this has got to be fixed. I, I just don't understand how you have such precise technology and use it to absolutely fucking fumble the ball every single time. It just honestly, it's like, <sighs> I'm not going to say that, but I, it's 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 just really really poor use of the technology and it just continues to to blow my mind as to how that happens so we're 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 more than 10 minutes into the podcast now we've not not yet started talking about the game we've 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 purely just started on the officiating so i do want to move us on to that but before i do i'll just say whether it's officiating whether it's injuries whether it's just the bounce of the ball or what we call like i I brought up golf earlier there's a really common phrase in the game of golf called the rub of the green like sometimes shit just happens and yes this is man-made shit that we think can be fixed but it hasn't yet and it until it is like we know that these factors that we don't want to allow to alter games and i'm talking not just in in football this happens in you know american football it happens in baseball you get a you get a, a you know just an unlucky bounce here or there shit goes awry and you've got to persevere you've got to get past it and spurs have been on the wrong end a lot of these liverpool are now seeing what that feels like and i know every fan thinks that their their team is the hardest done by when when it comes to officiating injury luck all of these things but i'm sorry that's just not the case all of this it doesn't it may not all even out to 50 50 but it probably all adds evens out to at least 55 45 in the long run so we've just got to kind of go on from there um go ahead caroline yeah and i think if people go back and listen to our podcast over you know the past couple of years 
they'll hear that we do point out when other teams get hard done by. And, you know, in my opinion, this error was just as bad as what happened to Wolves. And I think it was like the first or second match day when they didn't get that penalty from Onana clobbering um, Kalachik. So it's like, we, we do call it out, you know, it's, it's just because in this one case it, it, it went in our favor. That doesn't mean that all of our joy about getting a last minute win has to just go away. I think that's what has really upset me the most about the whole situation is kind of implication that, you know, we don't, we don't deserve to get that win and we can't be happy about it. And it's like, I'm sorry, like sports, weird things happen. I'm going to be happy that my team got a win against a team we haven't beat since 2017. Like, come on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point. And, and I think for me, and I understand UEFA and the FA are different things, right, without a doubt, but I don't have to look any further than the Champions League final. Terrible fucking call that cost us – a shot at winning the winning the, the thing it you know wouldn't have won us a thing right not having that happen but with the origi goal at the end but either way you know it cost us a, sh- a fair shot at winning winning the champions league and after that game i distinctly remember with so many spurs fans saying shit happens liverpool were the better side on the day like it is what it is we move on right that was the champions league final I think another reason why I say it's classic Liverpool earlier in the show is, of course, they come out with the entitlement, uh, you know, unrecognizing that they were beat on the day by a better team. Right. And yes, there were some calls that that didn't go their way. Um, It wouldn't have won them the game. Right. If if they if they call that goal onside and it goes in the, the the chaos of the universe, there's a good chance that that they don't score just before halftime. Right. Things change like I've. It is what it is. They're they're go, they're so focused on this one thing, connecting the all the dots of the result, and it's just classic Liverpool for me. But they they they, they no one over on that side wants to say like shit happens. Tottenham were better on the day because it's Tottenham because blah blah blah, right? But just classic Liverpool, and and again, why it's so hilarious to me. All right, I said let's talk about the game five minutes ago, so now I'm actually going to stick to that. Let's get into the game because. So the only change from from the previous week is Richarlison comes in for a, an injured Brennan Johnson who obviously had the knock. The thing that I thought was interesting about this, and I do want to get into this after we kind of go through what happened throughout the game, we go through some of these incidents, but Richarlison did not play through the middle in this game. It was sunny through the middle and Richarlison on the left. That's important, and I want you to put I want everybody to put a pin in that and I want to come back to it because I think that, that's something that we've been talking about now for for multiple weeks that we actually saw come to fruition. The first 25 minutes of this game were played on level terms, 11 on 11. And I thought if you, and it's really hard to do this, but I thought if you took those 25 minutes and stretched them out over the game, over the course of the game, and I know this is, there's going to be a lot of fans like rolling their eyes at this, especially if we have any straggling Liverpool fans, some, for some reason, listening to this podcast, they're going to say whatever that they're, they're going to wave this off. But I thought Spurs, to their point, and I even wrote this down, like like while taking taking notes while watching. If you follow us on social media, you know, I as the admin for the for the podcast account did not get a chance to watch this game live. So I actually watched it later in the day and took notes during it. And the one one of the things I wrote down was that this team was the aggressors in this game. Spurs were the aggressors, and not only just when they went up a man and then eventually up up two men, they were the, the aggressors for those first twenty five minutes too. And it did lead to a, uh, an instance early on where Vicario had to make a, a brilliant double save. Um, but 
Spurs overall still looked good when this game was 11 v 11. And then the Curtis Jones incident happens. And that's where I think we should kind of focus in on first, because this is a, this is a massive call that obviously alters the course of a game 25 minutes in. And in the immediacy of watching it live, I thought, Oh, that's a tough tackle. He's going to get booked for that. I did not see it as a red. And then when I saw the replay and I saw what happened, I understood why it looked so bad. Curtis Jones foot obviously goes into the center of the ball. It rolls over the top and it goes into the leg of, it was Basuma, correct? It was Eve Basuma goes into his leg harshly. And I think if it, I think if you get that kind of challenge and it's direct, I don't think there's any question about the fact that that's a red card, but the fact that it rolls over top of the, of the, of the actual football that to me changes this. And I was honestly shocked that this was a red card. I was, I was, I was not going to cry in my Cheerios or be upset about it. Like I was, I was pleased to be going up a man at that point, but I was shocked. Scott, where were you when you saw that decision made? I actually thought it was going to be a red card. And I, I looked at Cat and said, Oh, they're going to call that red right away. And I think, I think probably some of that was because of, of just the the harshness of the replay, right? Because I don't I think because there was no intent, but something not good happened as a result, right? I think it becomes a 50-50 at that point for the ref to make a decision. And without VAR, probably a yellow card, right? VAR is there. Ref has a chance to actually take a look, which I think is a good thing. And I think it was probably utilized correctly, right, in this instance. But um, it becomes a 50-50 call, like I said, at that point, without the intent, but the result being harsh. And the ref made made a decision, right? So I, I wasn't super surprised by it. I wouldn't have been shocked if it, if it wasn't given a red, but uh, I wasn't surprised that it was either. Well... For me, I think the fact that his challenge was over the top of the ball is what makes it reckless. Because, you know, we talk all the time about the fact that it's not just did you win the ball that determines whether it's a clean tackle. Um, It can still be a foul if you touch the ball before the player. And this is one of those instances. um, Because when you go over the top of the ball like that, you're taking that risk that you might get the player with your studs up, which is not allowed under the rules of the law. And I think it's important also to think about why we have that rule. And it's because it's, it's endangerment to a player. Um, and the rules are there to keep the game safe, essentially, at the end of the day. So I didn't have any problem with it being a red. I'm kind of surprised that, you know, Liverpool fans are so adamant that it was not a red. Um, because to me, it's a pretty clear case of, you know, it's, it's a reckless play. If Basuma's foot had been planted more firmly, that could be the end of his season. So... I'm not going to be right. I'm not going to be upset that this was called as a red thanks to the intervention of VAR. I think it was applied correctly in this case. I'm, I'm I'm certainly not upset by it. I want to be clear. Like when you see it, yes, it's, he goes right into the leg and it's, but it was, it was surprising to me that, that, that VAR was utilized in that way because it's supposed to be, you know, clear and obvious error. And, the, the 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 thing you mentioned, Caroline, about going over the ball, I don't think he won the ball. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he won the ball. But the cha- the fact that the, the initial challenge was into the ball, he was trying to, you know, dispossess. It, it was more, it wasn't even really possession. It was more of like a, a loose ball 
that both players were going for at the same time. And Jones foot goes and rolls over the top of it's a round ball. You know, it's not a, it's not a square out there. He's not going to be able to plant his, his, his foot firmly into the ball, but the fact that it rolls and gets into his leg. Yeah. I, I see in the, in the long run why it was changed, but I was surprised that it was. And maybe again, I feel like um, Spurs cynicism is a, is a phrase that I've used over the last few weeks. Maybe that's just the cynical Spurs fan and me thinking, Oh, well, they're never going to change that to a red. We, we could never be so lucky. We, we were that. Andrew, lucky. Are you talking about narrative? No, I'm not talking about, I don't want to use the word narrative anymore. I'm so sick of that word. Honestly, though, like, I, there might be something to the fact that you're surprised and every Liverpool fan surprises because those calls in past maybe have tended to go in a different direction. Right. So I might sound like Todd and Todd might be my boy here, but um, I don't know. I think, I think there's something to the fact that, that, that surprise comes from things that have happened in the past for sure. So um, because like Caroline said, that's a really dangerous fucking tackle. And I just, I don't think anyone really logically, if you remove anything that's ever happened in the past can be that surprised by that situation. No question. Uh, Sonny gets the goal. What about 10, 11 minutes later to put us up. Um, all's right with the world. And then they get this disallowed goal, which we, we've kind of already, I, I think we've already like beaten that, that drum like the PGMOL has admitted like yeah we we fucked this one up like they did that that should have been an equalizer and i don't even know what else is is to be said about that we never saw the lines drawn on the screen watching at home apparently there were lines drawn i don't really give a shit about lines being drawn on a screen anyway but it looked on side to me he was on side they said that he was not so be it but liverpool do get their equalizer right before half and in my mind, I'm I'm watching this game. We're a man up. We're a goal up. And I'm thinking, all right, Liverpool have already done this twice on the season. They've gone down to 10 men and they've battled back from down a goal while down a man. And I, I was definitely feeling some kind of tension about the, just the idea that, you know, there's, I mean, this is the first time we've beaten Liverpool in how many years? Like, I just, I felt that, you know, that doubt creeping into my mind. And I think some of that had to do with um just honestly i want to i want to take a moment and just kind of credit liverpool because i thought liverpool played really fucking well that's a good team and mm -hmm. i i thought that spurs were not as good as they could have been while up a man and then eventually two men even though they got the job done but i think a lot of that has to go to crediting liverpool rather than saying spurs were bad because i don't think spurs were bad in this game i thought liverpool stepped up especially after all the things that went against them, you know, went against them. Well, and they were just very pragmatic when they were down to nine men, you know, committing basically all of their numbers back into defense because they are such a good team when it comes to counterattacking. Like I, I would honestly say they have the best attack in the league, including some of their more attacking minded midfielders. Um, but, you know, Ange even called this out after the game, the reason they were so successful with that strategy is that we did not vary our attacks enough after that point. So we, we just kept trying to do the same thing over and over and kept getting the same result. And it took, you know, obviously at the very end, Poro trying across from a different position and just getting it into the mixer, as they say, and, you know, dangerous cross gets turned in by Matt tip and in the story, but it, it kind of had felt too. before that, that yeah, good finish. Yeah. <laughs> But it felt like we could play 
10 more minutes and we wouldn't score if we kept doing the same thing. So I was relieved to see that we finally tried something different and got a result out of it. Yeah, I, th I thought we looked really flat after after the first red card even. And I think I said that a couple of times in the chat that we were just absolutely devoid of ideas. But what I – and Ann, like you said, Ann said that, right? But I think what happened was you, you prepare all week for a team who – who's going to press the shit out of you and swarm you and be all over the ball. And all of a sudden that team has no choice, but to like hunker down, like they're Sean Dyche Burnley. Right. And at that point you, you, you have to try to manage quite a bit from a tactical perspective from the sideline live during a match, if you're and right. And of course you probably cover what happens if this happens and this happens, but Two red cards against Liverpool. Liverpool hunkering back is something that isn't going to happen more than a couple times a season out of necessity. So I just think we got caught on the fly um, and had a hard time reacting. And um, as good teams do, especially during good seasons, we got a result right on a, on a match, which saw us a little bit confused and, uh, again, devoid of ideas. So. Gakpo gets the equalizer right before half injures himself has to come off at halftime and that introduces Diego Jota to the to the match which turned out to be a very positive thing for Spurs because Jota is sent off after two yellow cards within a span of like I don't know a minute and a half something like that um the first one he, I thought he was a bit unlucky on but it was definitely a yellow the second one he was just a dumb dumb and I again I I said I took notes that was just a dumb dumb play uh it's an easy sending off to make. And when you're down to nine men, it's like, I don't know what you're trying. They, they, they pretty much at that point had packed it into like a four, three, one. And we're, but, but that's what I mean by giving Liverpool credit, even in a four, three, one, they were imposing enough in trying to counterattack and trying to do some things and having, you know, having Mo Salah run down the pitch. I thought, I thought, I thought Salah like, for the most part was locked down, but he really like still presents a threat for them. Uh, and, and was still, it was still really good in that role too, where they, they knew they had to sit back and, and defend a little bit more, but he could present a threat going forward. Um, and I just thought like there was never a, a point in time after, especially in those final, we'll call it 20 to 25 minutes after they had gone down two men, there was never a point in time that I really felt like, Oh, Spurs are, are vulnerable here. But to you, to both your guys' points, I, I also did, was not a hundred percent sure that that this was going to go Spurs' way until it obviously it did right at the end. Yeah, no question. I mean, I was pacing around my living room, telling telling Cat how upset I was going to be that we were dropping two points and how it really felt like it was going to put a damper on the momentum that we're developing. Not that it would be like a disaster, right? But when you have a chance against nine men to take three points against the top six opponent and you don't, um, that's tough. That's tough, right? Especially with our aspirations. So anyways, I was not happy. Um, when Poro fizzed that ball in, it was actually, I'll say this credit to Pedro Poro because Kulisevsky, I love him to death, but every time he got the ball out on the right wing, I just wanted to turn my head. Like I, I, he, he, he didn't even have a bad game, but that, that ball we kept stuffing into him, was accomplishing nothing just over and over and over. Poro gets that ball in his foot. I told Kat, like, that's the guy we need on the ball right now. And then boom. And I'm not saying like I called it or anything. I'm just giving credit to Pedro Poro for, for, for showing quite a bit in this game. And as soon as he had the ball, I felt like there was a little bit more of a chance that something positive could happen. 
Um, I'll, I'll I'll give Lee. I know like Spurs fans will not like that I'm about to do this, but I'll give Lee Dixon the smallest amount of credit on the broadcast over here in the U.S. Uh, he he pointed out that Kulisewski's got to learn another move other than slotting the mm-hmm. ball, and it's something that Caroline you've brought up a number of times over the weeks. But like this guy has one move, and it's to get receive the ball, cut inside to his left, and try to find a a, a slot to shoot or to pass, and it's the only thing he does now. He's got to he's got to get something else in his locker at this point. Honest to God, I think I probably said this on the show, but my best friend in the world, Juve Dave, they sold this Kulisevsky. That's what he said. Into it, the dude's flying, right? I called Dave, like, why did you guys? And I was giving Dave shit. Like, why, you fucking idiot, sold us this amazing, you know, gem of a player. What were you thinking? He's, and he said, you just wait till the rest of the league figures out his one move. That's exactly what he told me. Um, you know, not that he's a hater on Kulisevsky by any means, but he just felt Juve was comfortable to move him on because he lacked creativity when it came down to it. So, again, I love the dude, and I have every reason to think I'll figure it out, but it was not working for him against Liverpool this weekend. And, you know, the one time he scored this season was, I think it was the Sheffield game, right, where he found himself coming more into the central areas because Madison had subbed off, and that was what we needed. And I thought he was way more effective from that position. So I, th- I think, you know, we, another big factor, you know, in us having sort of these difficulties at the end of the game, breaking them down is that we didn't have Madison on the pitch. We didn't have Sun on the pitch either. And we knew going into the game that they were going to be kind of limited minute situation um, because of knocks that they both picked up. But yeah, I would have liked to see maybe a little more experimentation with, with Decky's role specifically. Um, but yeah, I think, Poro just deserves so much credit because he's just relentless every game. You know, he doesn't let what's going on in the game affect his, his effort. You know, he's like the prototypical mentality monster, I guess you would say. Um, But I thought when his cross went in, I didn't immediately see that it was Matt tip that had turned it in because Skippy was right there. Um, so I was losing my mind because I thought Skip had just scored us a game-winning goal against Liverpool. Unfortunately, he did not. But the point is, like, it even if it hadn't been an own goal, I feel like there was a really decent chance we scored from that possession anyway. So just it was almost it was almost going to have to be because it was getting late early at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the best part of the of the I, I almost called it a winner. Yeah, I guess it's a winner. It's a game-winning goal, even if it didn't come off of one of our players' uh, feet. The best part to me, though, was Allison's reaction because after the ball popped out of the net, he just kind of volleyball spiked it into the crowd, uh, just like on the hop. And it was out of, I think, frustration, disgust, anger, and also just like, well, thank God this shit is over <laughs> because I think he was really kind of tired of, of, of playing two men down for that. He one. had had such a good game, though. He was I mean, very honestly, good. Yeah. Incredible. I think one of the toughest keepers in the league. So kudos to him for, you know, his performance, honestly. But his exasperated volleyball spike over the goal into the crowd really just brought a, 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 a subtle uh, smile to my eye. And I just wanted to point that out. Um, let's let's go back to this conversation quickly about Richarlison on the left um, versus playing through the middle, because this is, if, to my recollection, this is the first time that these two, speaking of Richarlison and Sonny, have played together, started together in, in quite a quite a little while. Um, we'd been getting Solomon. We got Brennan Johnson, the one game last week. Um, but Richie comes in and plays on the left. And I, 
I thought he was great. And I know it's going to be really hard to kind of judge a lot of what Spurs were able to do. Every, you know, you look at like um, any kind of rating website or whatever, everybody's going to have great numbers. Every, we had massive possession numbers. Um, Spurs had 64% of the ball. You know, they had uh, 2.23 XG compared to Liverpool's 1.31. Like, like Spurs are going to dominate in all the statistics and the numbers are going to look good. But, but the, you know, the obvious matter of we were a man up for most of the match and two men up for, you know, 20, 25 minutes at the end there. Um, so it's kind of hard to skew that, but I thought that, that Richie on the left, he pressed really well. Um, I thought he showed for the ball even better out there, uh, was able to, to, to have more space to operate. And this is kind of what, what we've been talking about over the last few weeks is that I just don't know that in this system, Richie fits better in the middle than son does. And I thought that that was, again, proven out as much as it can be proven out in a game like this, where the circumstances are so different than 11 on 11 for 90 minutes. Well, for me, I think the biggest factor in this situation is that son has looked so good in the striker role. That yes. I That's another big factor of this. Yeah. I don't want him to be taken out of that position. Um, you know, if it's a choice between accommodating our captain and star player in the role that he is, has the best form in and, you know, Richarlison, no offense to him. I love him, but I, it's sunny playing a striker every day for me. Um, but I agree with you that I think Richarlison looked a lot more comfortable out on the wing. Um, it's not a coincidence that both of his assists have come from that position. So yeah, I, I'm all for keeping him there. Scotty, where are you at with Richarlison on the left as compared to, you know, playing him through the middle with Sonny on the left? Cause that's what we saw to start the season. And, I don't know. It, you know, I know. I know that was the starting lineup for the Brentford game for for the opening game. I just I, I like it this way better. I thought again, it's hard to judge with the circumstances being what they were, but I liked it better. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with both of you. I think he, you know, he's performed there for Everton more so than up the middle. So I, you know, I guess you that in itself is enough to make me think it's a good idea. But you know taking into consideration our tactics. I wasn't quite sure, but I think he looked really comfortable. I think, you know, he'll have to continue to work on, uh, you know, his ability to find the, find the quick space. And, and he, like, he's got great control, right? So I think once he settles in and <clears throat> honestly just finds his comfort in this system out there, he can be very effective. But you don't take Son out of the middle right now. I think Son's on pace to finish second in the league and goals behind Holland probably. So, um yeah, I, I think if it if it allows you to keep Sun with the middle and get somebody who's such a goal threat or a Charlton on the field, then you continue to work at it. Um, I hate to hate to pick on Kulu, but my it's all about what's going to happen on the right side of the field for me. But I think Richarlison needs to keep playing on the left. The the other thing that I want to bring up with Sonny, and we know that both he and Madison kind of went in at the tail end of last week and went into the game with, with question marks in terms of health. Sonny came out after uh, 69 minutes in this game for Manor Solomon and looked looked kind of hobbled, looked like he was limping a little bit toward the end there. I'm really curious as to, and I don't know if this is just specific to, you know, Liverpool being real physical with him in the middle, but I'm curious as to what Sonny's late game role can be if he can't because we have not seen him play a lot of 90 minute games this season he's been coming off you know 70 75th minute maybe sometimes earlier like he did in this game i'm i'm not um i'm not questioning sunny or anything like don't get me wrong i'm just i'm curious as to is is are we gonna 
see him be healthy enough to play some 90 minute affairs. Cause I think we all kind of thought that the depth is, is obviously the question on this team, but it shouldn't be that much of a question when you're only playing one game a week, hopefully, but I'm starting to worry a little bit about Sonny. I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not questioning. I'm worrying. Where is he at health wise? And can we get him to a place that's better than it is right now? Well, I I think we're just going to have to be more proactive this season in terms of actually resting him, which, you know, has been something that past managers have not always felt comfortable doing. And I don't know, I'm, lo- I'm looking back at his match stats and towards the beginning of the season, he was, he did play a few full nineties, you know, um, also with South Korea, which is another factor. Like there's an international break coming up. Please God, do not let him go. Um, I feel like he just needs to set this one out, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I feel like we've got Luton coming up. We just said, I know, I just said, I want Sonny playing striker. But at the same time, we have to think about the long-term season. So if this is a game where we give Richie some minutes at striker, or even Belize, who came in, you know, and did a job at the end of this game, um, I think it's it's going to be more beneficial in the long run than letting Sonny start this one. Yeah, I also yeah. think Ange seems to be really quick to protect his players' well-being. Um, so I think he, you know, he may even look at Son's health before a tactical decision. He really seems to be that type of guy, right? So I think he's just going to keep keep resting Sonny as much as he can, especially knowing that he was injured all of last season and has not picked up another knock. And he's young, but he's not young in the sense of his football and career, right? So – no, um, I think we'll have to continue to to find ways to to be effective without him at striker. And like Caroline said, and you said, you give Richarlison minutes there, you give Valise minutes there. Valise may have to be more important uh, more quickly than we realized, right? Um, who knows? So I think I'm all for giving guys opportunities to see what they can do, so Sonny doesn't have to play 90 minutes for the next 38 Premier League matches or whatever. Yeah, the, the Valise sub was interesting, too, along with some of the other subs. We can get into that as well. Yeah, going back to Valise real quick, just in terms of the game coming up, you know, I think Luton might be a team where we're going to need someone like him who can capitalize on perhaps set pieces, you know, with his heading ability that we've heard so much about. Uh, so it, it might even be a good tactical move to give him a start. Who knows? You want, you're calling for him to start. That's interesting. I, I, I'm not fully opposed oh, to it. I, well, I, I, and stress young players. That's that's one of his, you know, principles. So yeah, it wouldn't shock me. He I had Jamie Donnelly on saying. the bench as well. Yeah, it's true. I, I just looked up Sonny's number. Sonny's played seven Premier League matches so far this season. He's completed 90 minutes in two of them. Now, he also played 90 against Wales during the international break. Um, but he, he played 90 against Manchester United the second game and Bournemouth the third game. Came off after 75 against Brentford in the opening match week. Scored that hat-trick against Burnley in 72 minutes. Um, As I mentioned, there was the international break, but then 80 minutes against Sheffield United, 79 against Arsenal, and 69 against Liverpool. I'm I'm not concerned. I'm slightly worried about can we get this guy who we all know is on the wrong side of 30 – and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm trying to be delicate with my words here because I'm not trying to sound like I'm down on Sonny. He's been brilliant. And that's part of the reason that I want him to be taken care of and, you know, be able to last longer into games. Because I do think 
And we saw this against Arsenal as well. When, when he and Madison came off the, the offensive impetus dropped a little bit. So I want, it's not just sunny. I want Madison to be healthy. I want all these guys to be healthy just because I know depth is such a precarious thing uh, with this club. So I'm I also curious to see where it, that goes. Yeah. I, I also think part of this is lacking depth in certain areas. I mean, if Madison goes down for a month, I don't want to know what it looks like at the end of that month. Right. So same with Sonny. God forbid Romero or Vanderven go down at any point in time, right? So there's things that, that Ange has to be very mindful of right now from a depth perspective, too. Um, and he seems like a pragmatic dude who's not going to take chances. And he he definitely seems like somebody who, like Caroline said, would trust Valise over putting Sun and the team in a situation where he risks a long-term injury. It's just, just not worth it right now. I, I mean, and if, if, if Madison, and that's why I think Madison keeps coming off because he's young enough to keep playing 90. He's in great shape. He's fit, right? Part I've asked myself already, why does Madison get subbed off so often? And I think it's that right there. Um, it's the health. Losing, yeah. Yeah. Losing him would be detrimental to the season without. And he's going. not, he's not a guy who's been the healthiest, you know, throughout his career. He's definitely had injury no. issues throughout. When, the, throughout when his, when his knee Lester. went, yeah. When his knee went the other direction, was that this weekend or the weekend before against Arsenal? Um, and, and he went down. Um, his knee like hyperextended backwards. Yeah, I was shitting myself at that yeah, point. It wasn't. Um, I was it wasn't really, pretty. really worried. So yeah. Anyway, he's good. We're good. Yeah, I love all that. Uh, I'll I'll be really interested. You know, playing Luton uh, away next week may be almost like playing a nine man Liverpool team. <laughs> like quite honestly, like it's gonna. Yeah. They're they're, they're gonna be. I, I I don't say that to disrespect Luton. I think we all know like this is a a newly promoted side and it does not. It, do think they have a point on the board already i can't remember who they drew but um that th- that's gonna be like you're gonna have to have 65 to 70 percent of the ball and toy around with with them and and pick your spots and find your goals and not get countered on i will say i i i praised lee dixon a little bit earlier i will i will take a dig at him for the comment he made about nicky van Deven during this match uh saying that he didn't know that van Deven had that kind of uh speed uh, buddy all you got to do is watch the tape. My boy Mickey can run. That dude continues. And like just as a blanket statement, all the guys from this team that we've been praising throughout this season, Pedro Porro we talked about, Romero had a great game, Van de Ven, Destiny, Basuma was good in the midfield, Madison, saw, like everybody was once again up for it. And that's, I think, just from a from a macro standpoint, not even talking specifically about this game from a macro standpoint it's so great to see them continue to play in this way and i think that a lot of the um a, a lot of the kind of disappointment we heard out of like on like we might have seen some some tweets about uh well we didn't really play that well but we still got the job done even though it was against a nine man liverpool team at the end I'm again, I'm just going to go back to, I think Liverpool played pretty damn well when they were both at 10 and nine men. And I think we still can credit Spurs for getting the job done, even if it was through all of the, the mud and the muck of refereeing decisions and an own goal. And, um, you know, two players being sent off. I think we can still give credit to this team for going out and doing the damn thing when they didn't have to, they could have easily, I mean, End of the first half there, you give up that equalizer and you're starting to think, oh, this this might not go very well. But no, they stuck with it. 
they stuck to the plan and they continued to play football and that's all we've ever wanted as Spurs fans is for a team to just continue to go after it. And I think that was, that's the, like the underlying theme of this game to me. I'm not going to remember this as the game we, where we got away with something. I'm going to remember this as the game where no, we, we kept going. And when circumstances presented themselves, we took advantage of them. Well, all that. And, and I think, you know, it's important to point out how important it is in my opinion that they were not playing European football right now. And I think that's why, things maybe are going so good for us. We're seeing this this new focus and this new consistency. But I'm thinking about the fact that, you know, they're not traveling to, to Finland on a Tuesday, right, to play in some random game and then coming back on Thursday and then – or sorry, Friday and having to compete over, over the weekend because that's all just like a football calendar. But then you think of the human aspect, like – I'm not seeing my spouse or my kids ever, right? I'm eating on the road constantly. I'm not at home eating the things that I like to eat. I'm not sleeping in my own bed. Like that fucking piles up from an emotional and physical standpoint. We're not dealing with any of that. We play a match and then we're home to home to our, our spouse, you know, three hours later, kissing our kids goodnight and wake up and go to work the next day and do that four or five times before you travel in England to play another game for the day. And then you're home at night. It's just, it's a whole different world these guys are living in and, I'm just again so happy that we did not make the Europa Europa European Conference Champions League this season. It's fantastic. Whatever whatever it's called, whatever that that, yeah. that third rate third tier league is. Uh, Caroline, uh, take us home on on this game. Well, I just want to circle back to Mickey Vandeven real quick because after the Arsenal game, I think it was NBC did a post game interview with him, and he remarked that basically the team doesn't have fear for any team. And I think you saw that today or not today, gosh, uh, against Liverpool, but in every game we played this season, I think that's just kind of the attitude that this team is taking into the season is, you know, the, the expectations I think are already different just because it is the first season under a new manager with a lot of new personnel coming in, but they, they truly are like, living that mentality in every game that they're not going to let occasions get to them or let certain star players get to them. Like in the case of Udagi, you know, just handling Saka and Sala two games in a row. I mean, I, they're just getting the job done, which I think is really refreshing uh, compared to seasons past where you could see the fear very visibly. <laughs> yeah. There's no question about it. This team's playing with confidence and, it's it's showing. There's one more match before another international break, and as we mentioned, it's Luton away uh, on Saturday. It's an early game, early start, lunchtime Saturday. Luton should be fun. Uh, Luton, I believe, have uh, a rearranged game to play this week as well against, I think it's Burnley on Tuesday, so that'll be something to look forward to uh, as well. But Spurs right now sit second in the table. They're one of two unbeaten teams, and that's because Manchester City inexplicably lost to Wolves this weekend, um, which is one I'm going to have to go back and catch the highlights of because I did not see any of that. Um, and the only other team that's still unbeaten is that is that Arsenal club, which Spurs are currently still above on goals scored. So you love to see it. Uh, Spurs are one point back of Manchester City right now. And by the way, while Spurs go next weekend to play away to Luton, Arsenal and Manchester City, that is... Uh, on the docket next week those two teams play one another so uh, a big early season clash near the top of the table uh that will you know perhaps have some implications for for this team and um 
you know, where, where they're going heading into yet another international break. By the way, international break, would love to see some, we talked about a lot about health and depth, would love to see some of that uh, gained over the over that time as well. Maybe we can get um, some guys to say, I, I don't need to go play international right now. I need to sit with some ice on my knees uh, and and get through it that way. So that'll be fun to watch and, and fun to see going forward. But Luton is next and, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, back in here, Andrew here with Todd, and we kind of did this last week, and we're doing it again this week. He is at TC underscore show. Todd, what is up, my friend? We are obviously recording this later than than I recorded with both Scott and Kaz, but I've got Todd here with me now. We, we've got a lot to address in a short amount of time, so let's let's get right into this, my friend. How are you? Uh, any day, brother. Any day that we're talking about three points against uh, you know some clowns from Anfield, it, it makes me really, really happy. Uh, it, it's a good fucking day. We'll just call it that. Plus, I got to be Coach Todd today, uh, and that's that's never a bad thing. So the uh, you know went went down in a, in a barn burner. Uh, you know some 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 interesting calls uh, at, at this stage at the the eight U level. Uh, but uh, you know it's all right. We had a good game. We had we had a lot of fun. Everybody got bazooka, Joe bubblegum at the end of the day so it was a win i love um that. listen man let's uh let's let's talk about some things because i'm sure some folks would uh would definitely want to uh hear a follow-up to last week's conversation no yeah i mean so we got a we got a couple tweets from from some listeners you know interested in interested in what you had to say last week about officiating and interested in kind of oh. the back and forth that we had and now all of a sudden it's like i don't know i'm not going to say the shoes on the other foot but mm-hmm. shit went down against liverpool and all of a sudden they want to know what you think about that so i'm just going to let you like i kind of tried to do last week like have the floor man like uh, where do you want to go with this? well the it, 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 the the rub of the green if, if they will is something that occurs uh in, in all ways uh, and, and I think that we definitely saw the, the green rub our way this weekend. It's, I mean, to say that Liverpool didn't get fucking jobbed by horrible officiating and by sketchy VAR calls um, is entirely inaccurate. Uh, so uh, all I'm getting at with this, Andrew, is that if you look at the sheer, sheer amount of times that Tottenham have been jobbed in a similar fashion to the way that Liverpool got absolutely hosed this weekend. There's actually no better fan base to commiserate with Liverpool about this mess than us. Yeah, that's true. Because we know exactly how this feels. Arbitrary offsides lines being called, you know, questionable foul calls that lead to early sending offs, things along those lines. Clearly horrible officiating. It was bad. It was really, really bad. But that in no way excuses the fact that fucking Eddie Nakedi had tried to take off Vicario's leg last week and right. the referees stuck their thumbs in their asses. 
Okay, that in no way, shape, or form changes the fact that last year, two years ago against Newcastle, the, the arbitrary, the ball ricochets off of the back of Eric Dyer's arm inadvertently, and it's called a handball. The Lucas Mora one where he's falling and it pings off of his shoulder and into the path of Harry Kane who scores, and they said that it's a Lucas Mora handball as he got pushed over and is falling down. That's the one that will live with me forever, I think. That was when I knew, like, in my mind that the game is gone. And it was just, y'all are making this shit up as you go along. So what I want to say is, somebody asked, like, does this go with the narrative? It 100% goes with the narrative in two ways. One, this is a systemic issue, and it's not just Tottenham-related. It's narrative-related for the Premier League and the pig mall, which is what I call those asshats, and uh, everybody in between. And I said this on Twitter as well. Like, there's too much money at stake, Andrew, for them to implement any sort of system that actually has accountability. Like, they had a vote at the beginning of the season to not allow a more effective and more transparent VAR system into the uh, into use in the league. They absolutely shot down the use of things like open mics that they have in the Australian A-League. You hear every discussion on every VAR call in the A-League, and everybody feels like, oh, okay, well, whether I agree or whether I disagree, at least I know why people said what they said. And, like, those are the types of things where it's like, I think in this instance, if Liverpool's listening to whatever dipshit is in the Darren England, I think, is, is in the VAR box making that shit decision uh, on on the offsides and saying, well, you know, yes, old buddy's leg is dangling, but if you look at where his shoulder is, like Diaz's, you know, shoulder is actually more offside in that position. That's the way, whatever the fuck, it doesn't matter. I'm not a VAR official. What I am is somebody who would like some answers, and I'm not the only one. So I, I think more than anything else, this enhances the narrative because the officiating is dog shit, and clearly it needs to change. And hopefully that it being Liverpool and them being just the whiniest bunch of bitches ever might be the best way to actually get some things done. Because the, the, the pig mall didn't fucking issue a statement 15 minutes after Eddie Nketi had tried to take off of Cario's leg or after Eric Dyer's the random handball. They sure as shit did not. And there were absolutely questionable decisions, if not more questionable decisions that were made in the game against Liverpool. It just went against Tottenham. And people laughed it off as, oh, ha, 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 Spursy, fucking now six. Happened again, la, da, 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 da. So I don't think that when you look at this, you can see anything other than the fact that this is a systemic issue with the refereeing. And that this absolutely enhances the narrative that I was talking about that is an anti-Spurs narrative within the league by the way that this is being covered, Andrew. Gary Neville, somebody who spent his entire career hating Liverpool, fell all the fuck over himself to come to the defense of the Red Men Army. How egregious and hard done they have been. What? When you look at the two Robbies podcasts, like they're leading with, you know, uh, Liverpool's controversial loss or, or Tottenham's controversial win. And that's the thing that I'm really getting frustrated about here is we're getting the backwash of the bad press should be going to the fucking referees yeah i mean that part that part doesn't bother me as much i don't care what anyone calls the the win i don't care if they're going to call the win no it's it's not 
that doesn't give a shit about that. What I'm saying yeah. is it's like, oh, fucking Tottenham. Like, da, 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 fucking Tottenham. How could Tottenham get this, Andrew? The yeah. goal. Well, it's fair. It's fair. That's very fair. I, I just, I can't. Well, that's my point. I can't be bothered by the media narrative by it. I can be bothered by the officiating and how bad that is and the lack of transparency. The, 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 but the that's not what we're talking about. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about replaying a game or try, Liverpool trying to figure out what options they have for retribution. Get none. fucked. There Get are none. Get fucked. Or as, as Cody Romero says, go home and cry. Yes. Yes, and that's what the fans are doing, and I can appreciate that because we've been told to go home and cry a number of times about How many these times. Decisions. It's yes. offsides because it's offsides. I don't know. Fuck yep. out of here, man. What about the effort itself? We talked a lot about the fact that um, up a man, up two men late. I I hmm. I, I like the way we played because there was this there was this somewhat of this narrative that Spurs didn't play as well as maybe they could have up a man and then up two men. I, I kind of push back on that. Where are you with that? Thank you. Uh, anybody who says that shit has never played against the side that's been down a man or down two men. Because if you're down two men, all you do is sit in two banks of four. It's like going up to fucking turf more in February under Pochettino. You know what I mean? Like, all you know all they're going to do is put as many men behind the ball as they possibly can and sit in their own fucking box for as long as possible. Now, if you actually look at the way that we played, when you play an Ange type of system, like there's so much space when they only have 10. Because we're third man trapping team, right? So like there's so much space in between, like the way that we're supposed to rotate defensively. There's so much space in between the Liverpool players that by the time that we're trying to chase around and do the things that ordinarily we would do when we're facing 10 men defensively, the ball's already passed to the next player. And we got opened up a couple of times, especially at the end of the first half, in that specific instance, because we were trying to do what we normally should do and didn't rotate properly defensively when they had so much space. So I think that you asked about the effort itself. I think it was fucking great, absolute passion and guts. And the coolest, calmest man in the building was big Ange himself, man. It's that's the thing. Is that anybody who's ever led anybody, the hardest part is controlling your own emotions in the moments of high stress so that you can properly manage the emotions of your team. And dude, I don't know that I've seen a manager do it much better than Ange in the modern game. Like it's pretty, it's pretty special. Now, granted, we haven't seen a lot of adversity yet. And, you know, when we do, you know, that will obviously um adversity on the pitch. And when we do, I think that that will obviously cast a different, a different light on who Ange is as a person, as a manager. But in in the way that he's going about his business right now, Andrew, it's hard to argue that um he's got us doing things peter jury said it on the that we haven't done before peter, peter jury said it on the broadcast he said this tottenham team has a little something extra it does say it any better myself he's a master of his craft it does uh looting away next week maybe maybe the practice that they got playing against a team packing it in and i thought liverpool did a good job of that maybe they, the, the practice they got against a team packing it in will 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 help them next week uh, against Luton but what else you want to get off your your chest before well, we uh we get out of here with you 
No, it's interesting that you brought that up. I'm going to say something that I didn't think that I was going to say, but I'm going to say it right now. I think we're going to miss Perisic in this game. What I am stoked about is, I don't know, man. I, I, I love the fact that the English game is one where a team like Luton could be in the fourth or fifth division less than 10 years ago and be in the Premier League now where they had to spend you know $2 million or whatever to get their stadium up to Premier League code just to house games there. And like you can see into somebody's bathroom as you're walking up the away stands. Like that's like, that is English football to me. That is European football. And like, I, I love that because it's relatively close. Um, you know, if we, again, if we had to travel a super long way away, like I would feel much different about it, but, um, honestly, but, uh, you know, if it's something, if this was Stoke city, I would be like, what the fuck? This is terrible. These conditions, these are premier league footballers. What the hell? But uh, it's right around the, it's, you know, relatively right around the corner. And so like, you know, it's accommodation should be relatively nice and they should, they can manage for a few hours. Um, I couple of things one richie scores from his head in this game um i think manor solomon gets on the score sheet for the first time this week i'm gonna say that i would be in favor certainly because uh they're gonna they're gonna need that help like you said with parasic being out they're gonna need the help on the wings for sure to break something agreed down. sir agreed i also I would I would not mind seeing a little bit of rotation here, like sitting Sonny or Madison, like not starting both of them and like giving coup to the armband. Like I'd totally be okay with that. It's interesting you brought that up. You, as as listeners will already know, Caroline brought up the the, the possibility of starting uh Veliz up up the middle just to, yeah. to give him a run. Caroline's out. really fucking smart, so that doesn't surprise me in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, no question. No question. It should be fun. TC, um, thanks for jumping on, man. This is this is we we want the fire. We want the we want you to the, the, the spit in the takes. And uh I hope the listeners enjoy awesome. it as well. You can follow him at TC underscore underscore Kasho. And uh we're gonna be back with more. Uh, you guys know where to find me. Do, you, yes. yeah, you guys know where to find me. You you don't, yeah, you we'll, don't have to, to jump on the the pod account. You can come and find me directly. I I'll take that heat from you. I want all that smoke. Yeah, no question. Uh, more to come from myself, Scott, and Caroline at, right after this. Let's talk about this women's team because the WSL season got underway this morning for Spurs women with a 2-1 defeat away to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, the defending champions. The It's four-time four defending champions. They've won a bunch of these in a row now. And this, this, this was going to be a tough test, Caroline. But um, I thought overall... Spurs really kind of looked good in this game for, for a lot of new pieces coming in and a lot of, um, you know, questions about the new manager and what the tactics were going to be. You know, we talked a little bit, I think it was last week to the week before about that fan forum and Robert Villaham came in and said, we want to play, you know, attacking possession-based football, kind of like the men's team has been doing. And I thought against a much more, um, I guess, tactical and you know just superior opponent they were still able to do some of that right yeah definitely i feel like what we've really been asking for with the women's team for quite a while now is just to be able to see some sort of identity on the pitch and that was really clear to see today you know we could tell we had defined ideas and attack we were executing them with varying levels of success but i think there were you know really sustained periods of the game where we looked really good and 
you know, at times better than Chelsea and really had them on the ropes. Fortunately, we did not capitalize during that, that uh, period in the first half where, you know, it really looked like we could, we could score a few goals, but I think that this is kind of what we could reasonably expect as the best performance we could get in our first game with a new manager, with our star striker out injured, you know, there were some (laughs) factors that kind of made it, it difficult to imagine getting a result out of this game. But I think we, we came about as close as we really realistically could. Would those be like Millie Bright perhaps committing two different penalties and not getting the call on either? If we want to talk about officiating decisions. The second one especially I think was pretty blatant. And I'm upset because I was under the impression we were supposed to have VAR by this season. Um, Maybe I was wrong and it's next season that it's coming in. But um, to be fair to Chelsea, goal line technology should also be in place. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. They definitely scored a goal they weren't given. They scored a goal they did not get. So I I understand, you know, them being hard done by as well. So, yeah, the the level of officiating, I think, in the WSL just needs to come up all over the place. But, but yeah, I think Martha Thomas, you know, coming in to replace Beth England for an indefinite period of time because, of course, the club has not communicated the timeline for Beth's return to us. I thought she did a good job. I feel kind of down or bad that I was so down on her when we signed her. Um, Part of that was just like, how do you replace replace Beth England? You know, she's, she's like one of one. Um, But I think actually Martha Thomas did a really good job today. Um, It was, there were times when it felt like she and Celine really were connecting well with each other, but it was just like the final touch was missing. Yeah, um, And that's going to come, obviously, as they play more together. But I thought they looked really good up there um, with Celine out on the right wing. Um, and Grace Clinton as well, another new player who obviously she's on loan, so maybe don't get attached just in case. But she really brought a good spark. Um, and actually, it was her uh, rebounded shot that led to our, our goal. So I think she really made an impact and kind of demonstrated exactly why we wanted to sign her on loan. Um, so that was good. I guess when it comes to, to, to Martha Thomas, I mean, I, I agree with you. I thought she, you know, th- there was that one instance where Bazette played her in with a, just a brilliant pass. And mm-hmm. I, I felt like we, 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 we remarked in our group chat, like we both would have liked to have seen an extra touch mm-hmm. and a better angle to the goal, but she, she took a shot, um, you know, was saved, but, but there were like those glimpses and you can kind of mm-hmm. see where, Oh, this team kind of—it's not like this team didn't know what it was doing. Not that I wouldn't have expected, you know, Robert Villaham to have them prepared and ready to go, because they've had a full—you know—the the the World Cup ended. They've had kind of a full month plus here to to gear up and 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 get ready for this season. But they really, even more so than just like looking like they've played together a little bit in training, they looked like they knew what they were doing and they were assertive in spots and there was more possession even. Then I thought there might have mm-hmm. been uh, 44% possession for Spurs in this match uh, away at Sanford Bridge is like, that's, I don't know, that seems kind of good. If you're getting that up, that number well up over 40 like that, um, they were able to get some, some good shots, uh, plenty of shots on target, even 11 shots on target, only one fewer than Chelsea had. So 
there were there was an effort there and it was it was a strong effort um i guess my question would be is is martha thomas and again we don't know how long beth england's going to be out but is martha thomas uh, an answer in terms of stepping into that role until bethany england can come back i think so you know i just before today's game i don't think i felt as confident but actually seeing her with the rest of the squad it it feels like she's already fitting in pretty well so yeah, yeah i feel like she's going to be just fine as a you know intermediary but we all want Beth to come back at the same time. <laughs> yeah, there's no question about it. Scotty, what, what what were your thoughts on this match? I know you watched it as well. I mean, it's I don't know. I, I again, we're not celebrating a defeat here, but I think we're kind of celebrating the fact that oh, this looked I think better than it could have against what we knew was going to be a really really tough task. Hundred percent. I I think Martha Thomas. I think. She looked really good, of course, because she played well, but she fit into that system really well. She did a good job of of playing as a lone striker in a 4-3-3, which takes quite a bit, right? Sometimes you're the, the point of attack. Sometimes you're dropping back to create space for the wings. It, it, it's a tough ask, and she did it well. So, you know, part of me thinks that Robert just sees her executing really well in training in, in the system, right? And, and, you know, I'm confident. First of all, she's probably going to have to be, but I'm confident she can do a job until – Beth gets back. Um, I think the spine was was in, was incredible um, from Becky all the way up to Martha. I, I thought Molly had a great game. I thought um, I thought Drew had a great game. I thought you know Caroline and I were talking. I thought Jess Naz looked good. I'm still a little bit bummed that she that she that she missed that opportunity late in the game, but I won't hold it against her. I thought she played well. And that happens, right? But. The spine was fantastic, um, and as Caroline said, Molly had a great game. But I think the best part about it for me is you're playing arguably the best team in the world. I know, you know, the Wave and the Thorns, OL Rain are all going to have something to say about that, right? I'd love to see some of those teams come over here and, and play some of our best, but you're playing one of the best teams in the world, and I, I think we never lost control of the match. I think we had great spells of possession where we moved the ball really well. I think the spacing was correct most of the, most of the match. I think we got carved up quite a bit, but again, it's your first game in the new system and you're playing Chelsea, right? So you're you're going to have to work on making sure that defensively you're a little bit more solid, but again, it's Chelsea, so I don't even want to say that like we didn't look good enough, right? I did I just think that anything that wasn't perfect will certainly come, but for it being your first match under a new manager away to arguably the best team in the world, I thought it was a fantastic match. And it was a long time. It was the first time in a long time that that either Spurs team lost a game and I wasn't like that irritated by the loss, right? I was, I, but it wasn't the complacency that I felt when we lose under Conte, right? It was just, it was, it was uh, just a feeling of contentness with the result because we played really well. The point you just made a minute ago, Scott, about not losing control of the game. I want to double click on that because I feel like in seasons past and especially last season toward the tail end when things were getting really ugly and this team was, you know, ended up having to fight for to to stay up. um, There were games where, yeah, you'd fall down one nil or you'd fall down two nil, but then you'd in the blink of an eye, it's five one. And it's like, oh, geez, like this is in this game. It never even at two nil. 
it never felt like there's no chance they could get a point from this match. And I thought that was the difference. Like the control was, was still there. And I think we have to give Robert Villaham some credit for that because he was pretty proactive about making substitutions. And, you know, we, we did have a few players who were starting to look a little leggy. Um, you know, Drew just coming off of a really hard fought Olympic qualifying campaign with Jamaica, which I'm, fortunately was not successful. Um, you know, I thought she was never going to make it the full 90 in this game. Ottenen, you know, one of our new debut players had a really strong debut, but she was getting hammered um, by some of the Chelsea players. So I wasn't surprised to see that she needed a sub out as well. And, you know, unfortunately, this is where you see the quality gap between our squad and Chelsea's because, you know, as much as I like all of our players for different reasons, it's, it's inarguable that, you know, some of the, the players we're able to bring on are not quite of the same caliber as, you know, Champions League contending Chelsea players. Like, it's just the truth. But I thought at least we, we had those fresh legs come in and everyone did still understand what the, what the goal was, what the system was. So we didn't see a huge drop off like we maybe have in the past when we brought in those players who are not quite the starters that we would want. Um, but even saying that, like just Naz is someone who I think could be a starter. You know, she's still a young player, yeah. still developing. I think she shows plenty of promise. And as Mita Ale as well, frankly, I would like to see her starting in the next game um, because <laughs> we didn't talk about this, but Angra Jane was playing at uh, right back, which is not ideal. That is not her position, yeah. and she was struggling. I think at more than any other player on the pitch today. So, so let's get into. We got some questions from from our listeners as well. I think you kind of just ag- addressed Spiggy's question about fitness. Uh, he said fitness was a stark factor as the match progressed. Um, I, I think I think we kind of covered that one, but but on Angrad, you you just brought that up. This is from uh, David Puckridge. There was a lot of hope and expectation for her when she joined. What happened and why do you think? Um, this was kind of makeshift for her, right? Playing fullback. Well, I think if I'm going to try to zero in on why this role is not a good one for her, it's because she doesn't really have the physicality to be doing those 1v1 battles out on the wing. You know, she, those were the situations where I was like, oh, she is getting beat left and right. This is not working out. Um, we need a player with a little bit more presence. And I think she's much more suited to one of those midfield roles where she's like facilitating the ball progression more so. Um, so, yeah, I it, when she joined the team, I did feel very excited about her. But I feel like she has not lived up to the expectation that I've had personally. Um, but that doesn't mean that she can't improve under Robert Billaham's management. You know, I think he's he's someone who's going to try to identify the best role for each player um so if it takes a little bit of tinkering and it takes some time that's okay but for me in this game she she was probably the one that let me down the most i'm i'm also going to be really curious to see if improvement from the right back spot can also show some improvement from the right center back spot because I, I was a little bit disappointed in Luana Buller's first match with the club. I, I I was kind of pumped about that signing. It seemed like, I don't know, there's something about, I, I watched her play in the world cup and I, I like her game, but there was not a lot 
coming from her in this match for me as well, that she was another one of the players that I thought struggled. Um, and I thought maybe it was just that, that, that Becky Spencer was incredible in goal. Cause I thought she was incredible in goal, but I've also thought she had a lot to do because she wasn't getting a ton of help from that right side either. Uh, and that was a big factor as well. So I'll be interested to see if one or both of those players on the right side of defense can up their game or if one of them, you know, has to switch out if it, if it helps the other. Well, and this kind of goes back to our recruitment this summer because we had identified the fact that we hadn't signed a left-sided defender to play that fullback role. That was going to be an issue because essentially Ash Neville is the only player who really is like suitable to play there right now. Right. Um, but we know, I think she herself prefers to play on the right side and that's where we normally saw her last season. So not only, you know, is she playing on the side she's not as comfortable on but I think if we had had a player come in who was more of a natural left back then that frees Ash up to play on the right or play in the attack as I really would prefer to see her because you know we saw in this game her instincts are that she wants to get forward and get involved in the attack so you know that that kind of is what it is with the squad that we have right now but I think that's something that really has to be addressed in January for sure the last thing on this game that I want to touch on is the leadership that we saw, um, not only from Molly Bartrip, who was filling in as captain since Beth England obviously is out right now. I thought she did a phenomenal job. She was very vocal. She was also leading by example um, in some of the, you know, the last ditch tackle she was making, um, putting her head on the line <laughs> to the point where she needed treatment for a while. Um, but yeah, I thought she really did a, a really great job. And also Becky Spencer. I did not expect her to start this game because I'm cynical and I genuinely thought they were just going to put the new keeper straight in. And I'm glad to see that she got the start because A, I think she deserves it. And B, I think she suits the style that we're trying to play. To be fair, I don't know Barbara very well. I don't know her game. I am not familiar with it. So maybe this is something she's capable of too. But I just I felt very comfortable with Becky and goal and she can still make some of those stops that just take your breath away. So I was really happy to see her get that chance. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you double clicked on on Spencer's game because I thought, like I said, it, she could have used some help. But even without that help, she was really, really good. And um, I think a big part of the reason that this was not a four one five one, it was a two one. And that was that 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 should have been said. Uh, it's Bristol City next week for Spurs women. They they return home. They face Bristol City first home match. Uh, we'll see if that that that's one you got to put some points on the board. Uh, hopefully multiple um, if you want to you know try to make some noise this season. So we will see if Spurs women can do that. Uh, we'll be back to talk about it next week. It should be fun. Um, I'm glad that the the rest of the week in in the world of Spurs was kind of quiet that we could just come in here today and talk about a couple of games and talk about some positivity and I, I know officiating will continue to be a topic throughout the game, but we will, you know, we'll knock those pins down as they keep getting set up. That's just the way that it's going to go from here. So uh, it should be fun. Uh, this has been a good one. You can follow Caroline at CG Stefco. You can follow Scott at Scott G bird. That is bird B Y R D. You can follow me at a Stetka. You can follow the podcast at Tottenham Depot. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. And you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, threads, TikTok, all the all the usual places, all the fun places. 
Uh, until next week, this has been the Tottenham Depot podcast. As always, come on, you Spurs. <laughs>